if you're wondering what I was saying to Daniel, I won't tell you. <laughs> no, actually, <laughs> for those of you who could stay back, uh, we will uh, give you one piece of pizza and one extra pepperoni from the other, the next slice. No, actually, we will get more for you. <laughs> there will be no lack of it. Good morning, and happy Easter. Yes, it is the Orthodox Easter, so um, welcome. I, I'd like to share with you something that's post-Easter, because uh, you have to ask the question, so in the light of Easter, in the light of the fact that Jesus has raised from the dead, what's changed, right? What's changed for us? Apparently, for the disciples, nothing changed. And they needed to be met by him, by Jesus, to be able to understand the difference. But let's have a look at this uh, uh, by turning to um, Luke chapter 24. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture, the end of Luke and the end of John. So we'll look at Luke chapter 24, and later on we'll move on to Luke, uh, John chapter 21. And we'll start with Luke chapter 24 first. And... Uh, Last Sunday, we looked at the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus came on the road with them, and their eyes were opened as he talked with them. Yeah? Um, verse 36 of Luke chapter 24, I'll be reading from the NASB. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened, and thought that they, had, they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it, because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. Can you imagine? Jesus rose from the dead. And then he comes and says, have you got some fish to eat? Apparently, Jesus is very into fish. And you'll find that in, in John chapter 20, 21 because he really helps them to get a lot of fish, 153 fish. And then he cooks breakfast for them of fish as well. So it's fish. And, and it reminds me of the time when uh, Jesus first met them and told them, uh, put that, let, let down your nets for a draft of fish. And he caught, they caught a lot of fish, so much fish that the nets broke, right? They've started breaking. Jesus is really into fish. And then when people talk to the, Jesus about the, about the fact that his disciples don't pay taxes and all that, he's told them to go, go fish. <laughs> and they went fishing and they caught a, a coin. So Jesus is really into fish right now. So I, I think that's, that's really important because fish was always symbolic. And later when the disciples, uh, after he had ascended and formed the church, fish was a very central symbol of the life of the early church. Fish, fish is really important. But anyway, let's, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's go on this. It's, I'm not actually digressing, but uh, it will come back to us. He took it and ate it before them. Verse 44, Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things that are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms might be fulfilled. 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. We'll stop here for a while. It's very disturbing for the, for the disciples when Jesus came. He did not come through the door. He actually came through the walls. Or he just appeared before them bodily. And uh, when the disciples saw him, immediately they thought he was a ghost, right? They thought he was a ghost. And he says, no, I'm not a ghost. Now those disciples understood, he, and Jesus understood the disciples when he used the word ghost because he understood that um, these, uh, the Jews and especially the people of the land um, understood the spirit world quite, uh, quite well. They had a, a pr- pretty elaborate understanding of the cosmic uh, spiritual uh, realm as well. And so he understood what they meant by ghosts. And what he was saying is, I'm not a ghost. Now, why is this very important? Why is it important that uh, Jesus was not a ghost? Because of the fact that a lot of times when we see God, we think of God as something really abstract, something that is not physical, that doesn't relate to the physical realm at all. And when Jesus said that I, when I resurrect from the dead, I am not a ghost, what he's saying is that I resurrect into a body. Not into, I'm not transposed into some kind of ephemeral kind of thing that you cannot catch on to. In fact, I am a body to such an extent that the scars and the wounds on my hands and my feet and on my side are still there. They're still there. So I am physical to you in such a way that I do not escape your physical problems. I don't escape the physical, bodily sicknesses that you have. Actually, I am there, resurrected, in relation to those things. And sometimes our religion is such that we think of the spiritual realm and the, earth, the, and the earthly realm, and ne'er, ne'er the two will meet, the twain will meet. And I want to put it to you that the resurrection of Jesus is not the resurrection of a ghost that has no interface with our nuts and bolts problems on this, on this earth, that he is actually resurrected himself. And so he says to them, I am here. Look, see, it is I myself. Okay, you know what that means? It means that when Jesus rose from the dead, not only was he, did he become a ghost, But he didn't take on a new body. It was the old body, the body that they were used to, that was still the same one. He was still the same person that had come to them, except that he's glorified. That means that Jesus that we read about, that they were familiar with, didn't change to someone else. He didn't change to a ghost. He didn't disappear or become more or less 
change into the realm of the intellect or in the, in the realm of the internal feelings or anything like that, but he remained true in his physicality so that he could actually eat the fish that they gave him. Yeah? That is really important because we are going to find that most of the time when we look at Christianity, we think of Christianity as an internal thing, an internal and invisible thing that cannot be measured, cannot, be, cannot interface with the physical problems that we have in our life, that cannot interface with nature. I want to put it to you that actually when Jesus rose from the dead, what he did was that he redeemed all of nature, he redeemed all of the body, he redeemed all of the physicality, and all the nuts and bolts, the stupid, stupid, absurd problems that we have on the daily basis that we face. Including all the random things. When Jesus rose from the dead, he redeemed all of that. Okay? And when he appears to the, the, the disciples, he's saying to them, you cannot live your Christian life in the resurrection and escape into some kind of meditative realm and live there. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not the realm of the private or the, or the realm of the, in, the, 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 the kind of the inner sanctum of things and, or in the, in the realm of the mental. It's not in the realm of the abstract. He was a body. But get this, this body, physical as it is, it was not like our body, because our body, I can only be in one place at one time. True. I'm subject to the, uh, the rules of nature, but his body was fully, concretely present here and could be somewhere else at the same time bodily. He didn't half himself to be on one place and then half himself on here. He was fully here and fully there at the same time. That's an amazing thing. That is why he can meet all our needs bodily into in full measure, okay, on full measure at the same time. So he doesn't get confused when all of us are praying at the same time. Okay, don't worry about that. Yeah? He doesn't get confused. He doesn't get sort of, uh, you know, multitasking into multitasking and all that. No, he's bodily present. So when you believe in the bodily resurrection, we're talking about a resurrection that affects our bodies as well. Okay? And I wanna, we're going to come back to this because this is really important because think about the disciples, all right? Think about the disciples in uh, chapter 21. We'll, we'll turn to chapter 21. Think about how they felt. Oh, did I do this? I'm sorry. <laughs> My body must have touched this. You think about it, they had given up their jobs as fishermen and they followed Jesus. And while Jesus was alive, there was some body to follow. When Jesus died, that body was gone. Oh yes, he resurrected as well, that's true. But soon after that, he was going to ascend to heaven and, and be gone from there. So you see, the disciples were in a very tough position because what would they do now? They'd given up fishing. They had given up everything to follow Jesus. And they thought that if they'd followed Jesus, they would have a future. And now this future had disappeared from them. He was not there. If I have a leader who hires me to be part of his band and I follow him, 
what do I do for my livelihood if he disappears? And so the disciples were in that kind of situation. So let's look at this from uh, verse, let's see, verse 1 of John chapter 21. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to, them, to him, we will also come with you. And they went out and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Now, I don't actually believe that they backslided. I think they did what's normal for anybody. They said, what can we do? There's nothing. I mean, he's resurrected, nice, whoop-de-doo. But what do I do for making a living, right? I still have physical needs. It is nice to know that we were not wrong, that Jesus rose from the dead. Good, good for him. But what about me, right? And so what do they do? They can't preach. There's no leader to preach under. There's no livelihood. And so they did what was most natural to do, and it is go back fishing. And so they went back fishing. And so they went, you can you know, you gotta imagine what it's like. They're left on their own, you know. He's raised from the dead, but they're still left on their own, and they have no direction in life, right? They, didn't, they have no direction in life. What do I do? Okay, Jesus is risen from the dead. I suspect that many Christians today are thinking that same thing. Okay, we just had Easter, but what difference does it make in my life? I still don't have a job. You see what the disciples are facing? They're not, I don't think they're backsliding at all. I think what they're doing is what I would want to do. Right? What do I do? I don't have a job. I have actually hospital bills to pay. I have a car payment to make. I have to raise four children or two children or however many children you have. I, it's nice that Jesus rose from the dead. But what difference does it make? My child is very, very sick. My job is one in which I have to contend with the ugly face of my boss every day. I have to solve problems on a day-to-day -day basis, and I don't know what difference the resurrection of Jesus makes for my life. That's the question that we have to, have, we have to ask after Easter, right? This post-Easter doldrums, right? <laughs> this is post-Easter doldrums. And so what Peter says is this, I'm going fishing. And he's a leader, so everybody says, I'm going too. I would suggest to you that that's actually not a bad idea. It's, it's not a bad idea, you know, that post-Easter, we still take care of business. The only problem with that was that when they went out to fish at night, they caught nothing. That's where the problem is. And perhaps some of us are post-Easter living in this, this life in which we've caught nothing. The frustrations are still there. I remember for myself when I had graduated from, uh, from, uh, from college, 
I had to come face to face with the prospect that I had been dreading all through my final year in college, and that is that because I was not a citizen, I could not get a job in Malaysia. I could not get a, a work permit either. And so I had come to this place in which the very day I graduated was the day in which I could not help thinking to myself, finally, it's caught up with me. I'm going to be jobless. And I was jobless for a while because I could not get a work permit. You know, in Malaysia, you, if you want, if you, to get a work permit, you have to prove that no one else can do this job that you are applying for except you. And for those of you who know, I didn't have the most uh, precious degree. I graduated in English literature. So there were a ton of people who could do what I was applying to do. And I was just applying to be a, a, a lecturer or a teacher, right? Or a tutor in a, in a college. And I, somewhere along that line, was touched by the Spirit of God. And uh, the charismatic movement had swept through Kuala Lumpur. And I was, for the first time in my life, having been a Christian for many years, over 20 years, I was caught up with it. And I was suddenly finding God tremendously real in my life. It's as if my heart that had been icy cold and dead suddenly came alive. And so I had that kind of resurrection of my soul during this time. But I still had to come to a place where I had to contend with the fact that, well, great, God is now real in my life and uh, I still need a job. And I still did not have a job. And sometimes we experience that, don't we? As Christians, we have this dissonance, well, this, 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 this gap between our spiritual inner experience and our actual needs. If God was, Jesus resurrected as a ghost, then God helped God in helping me because it wouldn't do any good. I needed a God that resurrected bodily so that he can actually deal with the fact that I didn't have a job. Yeah. And so I remember that time, I, I didn't know what to do. I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, but the job never came. Yeah. So sometimes we can feel, feel that, that, this is, that Christianity is an escape into the realm of prayer or the realm of, of, uh, of, uh, of, of mental, meditative kind of, uh, of realms. But we still have to have our physical things taken care of. And I remember praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And after praying, I was so exhausted that nothing was happening that I spoke to my, my parents, my, my pastor, and I said, what do I do? And uh, I got a piece of insight. And, and, and what they told me is just do the normal things that you would do to apply for a job. Just apply for a job. And pray. So I realized that as I was doing this, applying for a job, which I knew I would, could not get because I didn't have a work permit, and praying I could do that, um, it, would, it would come to a place where, where there's this gap, this big ugly ditch between these two things, right? But my pastor said, just continue. At some point, because God is real, the two things will meet. So when you pray, be ready to do whatever you need to do. So I did. I prayed. 
And I applied for this job at a university, as a science university, and applied to teach English to these science, uh, science students. And uh, knowing that as I did that, I would need a work permit. Um, so I applied. And, the, and I found that as I was praying and I was applying and all that, I started feeling very, very negative. But as the more I prayed, I felt less negative. I felt more positive about it. And I went for the interview. And guess what? When I went for the interview, the person who interviewed me was a person who was from my church. And he was married to my English teacher, Mrs. David from England. She was an actually she was an English English teacher. And we had a good relationship. Even though while I was in school I didn't go for a lot of her classes. But she forgave me. And he told me, you know, you don't have citizenship, so you need a, a work permit. I said, yes. He said, that's no problem. I can get it for you. I said, wait, 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 wait. I've been told that, you know, you know I gave him the, the, all the negatives about it. And he says, no, we are a government agency, and so we can do that, and I have the power to do that. Now, while that was happening, the Lord was speaking to me in prayer about going into full-time ministry. So I thought, I think I can escape needing to get a job by going into full-time ministry. The only problem is that full-time ministry, there was no pay. We had to live for one year without any salary and not tell anybody because if you tell people that you are living by faith, then you're not living by faith. You're, telling, you're living by broadcasting your, your, pray, your faith. <laughs> so we are not allowed to tell anybody. So I was stuck. And the Lord seemed to tell me, just carry on. And I got the job. And in spite of the fact that I was going to go into full-time ministry, I taught for uh, six or seven months in that, that, uh, that, uh, that college and uh, enjoyed it. So let's come back to this, this, this situation. I understood a little bit of what the practical problems are post-resurrection in, respect, in spite of the fact that God is real He's also a God who helps me on my, in my physical needs, right? And so, there's, there's Peter. He goes out and he finds there's nothing. He catches nothing. And then he hears a hundred meters away, a hundred yards away on the beach, the voice of one single man. He's very, very small because he's that far away. And he looks just like all the other little dots on the beach, right? And somehow he hears that man on the beach saying, uh, let's see, Jesus said to him, children, you do not have any fish, do you? Very irritating. Of course I don't have any fish. And they answered him, no. And he says to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find a catch. So the voice can hardly be heard. 
But it was just this little voice that reminded them of Luke chapter 5 when they first experienced that, when Jesus said, push out your boats for a, for a catch, right? And they remembered. John later says, it's the master. It's him. It's him again. And so they cast their nets to the other side and they catch a draft of fish. Let's, uh, before I uh, get ahead of myself, let me just read it so that you, you know that I'm not fibbing you. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, verse 4, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. After all, he's so far away. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat and you will find a catch. So they cast and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard it, it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. And so when they got out of the net, the la- got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. That's why I think that it was not wrong for them to actually go fishing because Jesus says, bring those fish, right? You see, they went and f- went fishing. I'm sure they were not back, back, backsliding because Jesus blessed them, actually. Actually, the rabbis had this understanding that if you catch a whole net load of fish, it is uh, more than just a blessing uh, that's a, f- a physical, natural blessing, but it's actually a, a, the, the favor of God. So the rabbis would understand that. So those who are reading Luke would understand the significance of a full catch of fish. Does that make sense? It, it spoke of um, validation. It spoke of God's blessing and all that. So there's a rabbinic understanding that they, that they had. And so, there, there you have it. Jesus actually directs them to their fish. But just imagine that, that Jesus has risen from the dead and you're wondering, what difference does it make in my life? Right? What's the difference that, does, that, that would that make that Jesus has risen from the dead? It means that He is, can be heard. His voice can be heard. He's with us in those places where we actually have physical, natural, normal, down-to-earth needs. Amen? Because He's risen from the dead, He's not limited to one place. He, because He has risen from the dead, He's able to redeem all my unshapen, my, 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 my flawed, broken places that are really of this earth. I think that's amazing, isn't it? But what, had, what needed to happen was that for the disciples, they couldn't just sit down and just pray. They had to make a move, even if it is a, re, a, a, a normal move, a normal physical move, a habitual move. The, the difference is that they had to be open to hearing the voice of Jesus and being able to recognize it. Amen? There are wrong ways that we can live out our spiritual life post-resurrection. If Jesus was a ghost, we can live our Christian life without any reference to what's going on in the earth. 
At the same time, there's another extreme. The other extreme is to just go fish and do other stuff without reference to Jesus. Without reference to the fact that because He's risen from the dead, He's present with you and me. Amen? He's present here. And that and I'm going into, my, into the dark night of fishing and finding nothing. He can speak to me and He can direct me and He, cause, and he can cause providence and miracles to take place in my life. So there's two extremes. One is that we just transpose our spiritual life into some, some kind of internal kind of thing. And we think that God only is limited to the realm of the invisible. Or we can actually end up going and just going fishing and just do the fishing thing and find that we actually catch nothing. And there's nothing but emptiness in our nets. May I suggest to you that the resurrection t- tells us that not only has Jesus risen from the dead bodily, He's present to us everywhere we go. And He can redirect us. We are not limited by the fact that in our practical need to take care of business, we went the wrong way. He's able to redirect us and to tell us, actually, i got fish waiting for you. But I need your fish too. We need both. Amen? So I wonder whether there's some of us who are actually uh, facing this dilemma in their Christian life, in which in your Christian life you feel that prayer doesn't really work and the guidance of the Lord doesn't really work and everything that God speaks to you on the other side doesn't work. Or perhaps you feel that um, you just need to just go and do your own thing. Just, just carry on with your own business and, and not expect God to be around. You know? Or perhaps you may, may decide um, that you will just retreat into a realm in which you have less and less of a relation to physical things going on in the work, in society, in your relationships that are going on. I want to invite you to just bow with me in prayer first for a little while before we go any further. Because I think it's worth for us to like lift up our hearts before Him, our needs before Him. Sometimes I think we can sometimes uh, praise God and worship Him and feel that He's not present in that realm, the realm of our needs, sorry, the need of our physical needs. to invite you to invite him in the common irritations of life, the uncertainties of life, whatever is hurting you right now, come Lord, come Lord Jesus. Someone's here who feels that they have followed Jesus. And they've done their very best to obey Him. And now there's nothing left for you. Perhaps you find you're on the wrong side of life, on the wrong side of the, of the mountain, on the going down side. I thought I was following Him. And now I wonder whether all the things that He had promised me 
are really there, really true. Maybe I was deceived. Maybe I was just too zealous. And now I'm going to have to pay the price for it. I believe there's a word for someone who feels that. The Lord says, even if you made a wrong turn, I can give you fish. Invite him. Bless your name, Lord. We welcome you, Lord, to turn every place that we feel we've been left high and dry and we've just come out of a night of nothing with no prospect. We ask you that you will enter into that place. Enter into that place, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus said, he took bread, gave it to them, and gave the fish likewise. In verse 14, it says, this is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised raised from the dead. So Jesus provided for them. Our message is that Jesus provides for us even if we have taken the wrong turn. He's able to turn us back. That is what the bodily resurrection of Jesus is. He can relate and interface with the worst places of our life. Amen. Praise God. I want to turn you back to um, to Luke chapter 24 again and ask the question then, so how then should we live in this light? We've seen that we neither retreat into the realm of the invisible and internal realms, neither do we go straight into the physical realm without any reference to, to God. The funny thing is this, in chapter 24, when Jesus appears to them and takes a piece of fish from them and opens their minds to understand um, all that has been prophesied to him. In verse, verse 47, it says, and that, rep- rep- that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And this is the last point that I want to make. What Jesus is saying is this. Not only are you to wait upon me, you wait, wait upon the Holy Spirit, you are to stay until you are filled with power from on high. Waiting on the Lord is something we talk about a lot in the church. Yeah, we talk about waiting on the Lord. We talk a lot about waiting on the Lord based upon the Old Testament as well. In the Old Testament, the Bible talks about waiting upon Him. He will renew our strength and all that. And we'll mount up with wings as eagles. Waiting upon the Lord is really important. Blessed are those who wait upon Him. If you don't wait upon Him, you will actually be bound up by haste. Jesus says this time, 
post-resurrection, he says, wait until you close on from with power from on high. The difference between waiting in the Old Testament and waiting in the New Testament is this. In the Old Testament, we are waiting for God to do something. Yeah? We are waiting for God to do something that has not been done already. In the New Testament, the waiting is different. The waiting is based on the fact that Christ has done everything that needs to be done. You're not waiting with any kind of uncertainty that you will be filled with God's power from on high. You are waiting for that power to fill you up. There is a huge difference between Old Testament waiting and New Testament waiting. In New Testament, the Holy Spirit has been given. And because the Holy Spirit has been given, you have the Holy Spirit now. In spite of that fact, you're still to wait on Him, but you're waiting for that Holy Spirit to fill you or for you to be more and more aware of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit has been given to us without measure. That means all the power that we need to live the Christian life and to do the works of God in such a way that physical needs can be taken care of is being given to us. So when Jesus is saying, wait for the power to come, He's saying, I want you to wait because I've given you the power to heal the sick. I've given you the power to do miracles. I've given you the power to do all the things that I've done on earth. Isn't that amazing? I've given it to you. I can look at myself and say, well, I don't see the power. The resurrection has happened, but I don't see all that taking place. And, and we can keep on asking the question, so what difference has the resurrection ma made already? The difference is this. The power has already been given to us from on high. We have to wait for it to begin to manifest itself, for us to become more and more in line with it, and more and more present to it, the more and more believing in it, the more and more experiencing its reality in our life. The resurrection means that all the power that was in Jesus is now being put upon us through the person of the Holy Spirit. You're not excited? That means you, have to, you and I can live differently from the way we are living now. We can now live in such a way that the more and more we wait upon Him, the more and more we will be filled with Him. The more and more we wait for Him, the more something is happening while we are waiting. The Old Testament, you, you did not have that assurance that when you're waiting for Him, He's going to come. His promise is there, but there is a big difference between Old Testament and New Testament because the New Testament, what has already been given to us will now begin to fill us more and more if we give more and more of ourselves to Him. So as we wait upon Him, what, it, what does it mean? It means that we take our distractions away from other things, looking to other things, looking to other methods of, of, of salvation and turn towards Him, turn towards Him. The more a person turns and turns, turns more and more of, of the parts of his or her uh, consciousness towards Him, the more and more we begin to be taken up by Him. Now, this is important because some people, they only live in the realm of prayer, but they don't see that prayer as, as, as increasing their faith so that it will cause differences to be made in the natural realm. They escape into prayer and they can be praying for donkey's ears for all I care, but it doesn't make a difference. You and I are waiting for the power of God to become more and more real in us. It's already been given so that we can actually confront problems that are really serious problems, financial problems, 
difficult emotional problems, problems with our children, problems with uh, our, our in-laws, problems with people that we have problems with, in such a way that that power becomes more and more real, more and more uh, uh, a thing of faith, so that when we face these things, we are not intimidated by those things. We don't, we don't feel empty in, re- in regard to these things. Does that make sense? There's a way in which you can either escape into a realm in which we run away from those things, or we can go ahead on to these things without the power of God in, our, in and of ourselves. What Jesus is saying is, this, wait, don't do anything yet. Stay in Jerusalem because I want you to wait until you are clothed with power from, from on high. When, when will that happen? You will know it. You will know it. Because what happens is that inside me, I am present to it. I begin to be aware of it. I begin to be aware more of God than of the enemy. I become more and more aware of the things that are actually uh, uh, aware of God than the things that I lack. Last, last story before we go. I've shared this before, but perhaps in a different light today. My, uh, my wife was just talking to, uh, to me about it. 1998, after living in uh, Pasadena for a long time and renting uh, an apartment and then a, and, a, and a house, our landlord raised the rent on us. He raised the rent on us to such an extent that we could not afford the rent. And all this while before that, we had always looked for a house, but we could not afford to buy a house. Couldn't, buy, couldn't afford to buy a house. We even went to the Christian real, realtors to say, hey, we want to get a, buy a house. Is there anything you can find? But it has to be in Pasadena because we have a church here. And he said, yeah, yeah, we found a lot of... And then they looked into our bank account and found that we had, didn't have the money for the down payments. And he says, you should not be asking me to go and look for, for a house for you. You should be actually looking to buy a house in Riverside. You shouldn't be here. And so, after several attempts to buy a house, our landlord was now telling us we're going to raise the rent and uh, we realized that we could not afford it. Now, Jesus had risen from the dead. He had actually risen from the dead 2,000 years ago. I still had a problem with paying the rent, right? And I remember one night, Cindy was very troubled. It was 12-something and she sat up in bed. And when she sits up in bed, I know we're going to have a major conversation. And she would say the same thing, and I would answer the same thing, and we would get nowhere. And she said, we need a house. We need to buy a house. We can't afford to buy a house. And I would tell her, I'll take care of God's house. And if I take care of God's house, he will take care of my house. And Cindy said, well, he hasn't. He hasn't. And, uh, and I realized that my logic was based upon the fact that if I don't do anything, and we have tried something, actually. We have tried to, 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 to look for it. If I don't do anything, God will take care of it. Yeah. Sometimes we have this idea that God will supply all our needs according to His riches in glory, but we don't have to go fishing. Yeah? We don't have to do anything. And so I told her, I take care of God's house. 
you'll take care of mine. I have this answer. Sounds good, right? It wasn't working. (laughs) And so we had this back and forth on that. And I really felt convicted that if Jesus has risen from the dead, it must make a difference in my life. Because that means he's redeemed everything. He's redeemed my broken finances. He's redeemed my, my, my needs. He's redeemed my, me, my neediness. He has redeemed it. He's made all provision for that. So I said, the next, tomorrow morning, I'm going to pray and do my quiet time and ask God to speak to me about this. And we will move from there. And we went back to bed. I believe that God used her to give me a little bit of a kick on the backside because God was wanting to move me from a place of indolence in which my spirituality was up there in the invisible realm, unmeasured, unmeasured and unmeasurable, into a place in which it had to be confronting real things that are going on. I, I prayed, heard from God a word from Isaiah chapter 65, build houses, plant vineyards, and all that. And I, and, uh, I, I asked um, uh, a question, where is a good place to, to, to buy a house? And our real estate agent told us, Altadena. And Cindy went to see the sheriff, and the sheriff said, you know what, this house, we had found a house that we had looked at, it was way beyond our budget, is the best kept secret. And the Lord had given me the word Isaiah 45, I'll give you the treasures of the darkness and riches in secret places. And so we went for that house. It cost the grand total of $230,000. $230,000. We had $1,000 in the bank. And the Lord spoke to us, go forward, move forward. Don't stay in the realm of prayer. Move forward. Go, go and cast your nets. So we went forward. We found a, a, a good um, uh, real estate agent. And we went forward. During that whole time, I felt like a pretender. We acted as if we had the money. Oh, so you could do this? Fill these forms? Yes, yes, no problem. Yes, 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 yes. And provide all the details? Yes, 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 yes. It seemed to be going, but I was feeling very nervous about this because of the fact that we didn't have the money and someday the moment of truth would come. One evening, we were having dinner and the moment of truth came. Our finance guy, his name is Marty, Marty, called and says, Mr. Cole, I have a serious concern. We just looked at your bank account. You only have $1,100 in your account. You need 14000 for a down payment for that kind of jump, whatever loan that we had, that kind of newfangled kind of weird loan, the kind of loan that's not a good one. You need 14000 I s- And Cindy saw me, and she knows when I'm getting nervous because when I get nervous, I go... I blinked my eyes a lot. And (laughs) I didn't tell her what was going on, but she could see, you're blinking your eyes. I said to Marty, no problem, we'll have it by Friday. 
I don't know how that came out of my mouth. That was Monday. I believe it was, I think it was Monday. On Friday, I said, we'll have, it, have the money for, the, for you. He says, yes, but also then we need to be able to find a paper trail so that you're not moving money around. Marty's voice had changed. His way of relating to him was no longer friendly. He was very, very nervous about these couples because he thought perhaps they are pretenders. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. By Thursday, I remember praying with Cindy about it. And we were talking and we were saying, right now we are more concerned that God shows up. It came to a point that because of all the prayer that we were going, what we began to be more interested and, 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 and nervous about is whether God will show up or not. Whether... It even meant more to us if God would show up and do a miracle than if we would get the house. And I remember at that moment, both of us came to a point where he says, we're just going to damn the torpedoes. We're just going to go for it. And if it doesn't work, we're just going to go out in a ball of a spectacular ball of fire. We will fail spectacularly in front of the church. Because we were telling the church we're believing God for all this, right? Friday came. In the morning, got a phone call from the bank. It says, Mr. Ko, we have just uh, received a telegraphic transfer from Singapore. Um, $5,000 is in your bank. Who, who, who? We didn't know at the time. Put down the phone. About an hour later, got another call from the bank. Mr. Ko, we've got, just got a call. Somebody has put $10,000 in your bank. We did not tell anybody. We did not tell anybody of our need. I said, where did that come from? He said, from a bank in Luxembourg. What? We have no friends in, or, or relatives in Luxembourg. Later, we found out where, he, where it actually came. But on that Friday, $15,000 was there in the bank, $1,000 more than we needed. And God actually did something. But what, see, the resurrection has to do with the fact that we don't actually hide out in the realm just of, of the invisible, the meditative. Neither do we actually go on our own. We are constantly listening to God, hearing from God, and allowing God to push us in practical ways in the level of faith. Amen? We, uh, we've, we met a very happy Marty, who now found that we had $1,000 more than the 14000 that we need. So our, our, our estate agent as well as the estate agent of the one who was selling came together and everything was, was uh, fine. And then the day came for us to actually sign the thing together. We came, we went, entered into this, this nice little house that we were now going to own, or at least the bank was going to own. <laughs> and I could see that the agent on the other side was very worried. He said, I'm very, very sorry. My client has just gone through a divorce. She has agreed to sign, but her husband has refused to sign the thing. And the $1,000 that we had, which was the deposit, was the only $1,000 we had had in the bank prior to this. And she says, you are 
most welcome to sue my, my client because you did not do anything wrong and this is terrible. I was livid. I didn't show it though. My, I looked to Cindy and Cindy gave a, what I would call a breakthrough reaction. She said, don't worry. God has brought us this far. And she told them, told them the story about how God had provided for us the money that we did not have. And she says, you know, I'm fully understanding. My parents went through a divorce. I know how it feels. I know it's difficult. Please tell them. Let us know if we can do anything to help. We'll just wait upon them. The two agents were so touched that he, the, the agent for the other side says, you know, I was a Christian. I haven't gone to church for a long time. I think I'm going to go back to church. And our agent said, yeah, praise God, praise God. And so that was it. We went home, no signing. The next day, our agent got back and says, the man has, was so touched by what you said, how you reacted, he's decided to sign it. And so we have our house. Amen? Is that next? Then, I mean, praise God. The resurrection means that we can do normal and practical things. We don't have to run away into the realm of, 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 the, of the spiritual contemplation and just remain there. But we can actually do things, but we listen to God. Listen to his voice and listen and wait upon him. Amen? Let us pray. Yes. Now you'll get the true version of the story. So it is helpful. One thing is a story has been told before. So I was leading a um, youth group during that time. Oh, yeah. And the youth were praying, and there was a prophecy. All the youth fell down under the power of of God. I've never seen it before in this youth group, but they fell down. And one of the boys, 15-year-old 15 15-year-old 15 Joshua, said this, the money is coming and it's coming from an unexpected place. He prophesied. So this was going on in between. Our prayer was changing. And so it was actually a Friday yeah. that Marty called and it was Monday the money was due. And so banks are closed, right? Here in America. So that prophecy was very significant. Oh, wow. When the money came from Luxembourg, which is a bit ahead of us, it was exactly right so that Monday morning when we got there, there was the money. So praise God for the youth group, for what children do when they pray, because that's what our commitment was. We changed our prayer. It went deeper. Amen. Let us pray. Yeah. So God, we thank you that... You've promised to never leave us alone. We pr thank you so much that you are with us in a way that in the Old Testament nobody really understood, but we get the chance to understand. So we open ourselves up um, to have you go deeper in with us every day, go deeper with our children, to wait upon you so that we see your favor. We bless every person here with the favor of God as they wait on your true presence. In Jesus' name. Amen. Bless your name, Lord. I want to invite you to just bring before him any situation.
in which it feels like you fished all night and caught nothing. Any situations in which you're longing for God to be more real in your life. And perhaps the Lord is saying, wait on me. Give me time, give me space in your life. We lift it up before the Lord. We lift it up before you, Lord. Thank you. You are the resurrection and the life. You come to redeem every situation that needs redeeming. And we thank you and we receive you into ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.